You're listening to TJ Talks. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to TJ Talks weekly podcast. I am um, your irresponsible host, Teresa, (laughs) and with me, my co-host, who would never put more than 10 items in the 10 items or less line, Judd. How are you, Judd? Hey, I'm doing very well. (laughs) It's a full moon out. You know, I saw that. Are you feeling weird or different? I think that's why everybody's acting crazy. You just get to that full moon and Everybody are not the same people that they normally are. I think they. Uh, yeah, I didn't think it ever affected me, but this last two months feels like it has. I don't know why. Yeah. How was your week? It was good. Good. But yeah, I think. Well, for the most part, kind yeah. Of had one of those bumpy days during the week, but other than that, not too workplace bad. drama. Yeah. Little drama. It wasn't really even drama. It was just a standard. People having conversations and uh, all sorts of weird things happen at my work. Yeah. See, and I crave workplace drama. I no, have none. We got, got people dating each other at work. The <gasps> QT, you know, on Ooh. the download. I love that stuff. <laughs> on the DL. But, wow. but, but they're both single, so it's, it's good. So it's good. Oh, but it's more juicy if they're not, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't help the water cooler talk if they're, you know. We have that too anyways. (laughs) Well, good. Every good workplace should have a little bit of that. Manager dating somebody. Oh, and then it's superior to subordinate. That's good. Move that person. Got to go through HR. Got to go to HR. Everything goes through HR. Yes. Which is funny because I'm laughing at at that, thinking about HR and thinking, I assume NASA probably has an HR, right? Yeah. I would think they do. I wonder if HR was uh, contacted when they found the picture of the Playboy pinup inside the Apollo uh, capsule. I would believe that they were definitely involved in that. I saw that snidbit come across and I thought, I had two thoughts on it. First thing was... um, that's fairly cheesy. And looking at the picture, it's some woman named Dee Dee Lind. This is back in 1969, right? So imagine a 1969 pinup girl uh, from Playboy, specifically Playboy magazine. And so just the whole, um, it, it sounded pretty tame because 1969 Playboy can't be that bad. And in fact, I don't think Playboy today is that bad. So that didn't really strike me as odd. But the thing that did strike me about it was I thought, oh, they're astronauts and flyboys or whatever. And that's what those guys do. And it's fine for them to have that in their workspace, quote unquote. But that standard wouldn't apply to, you know, an office full of insurance guys or a locker room full of PE teachers. So how come they get away with that bad behavior and not other men in other job sites get to do that? Yeah, um, well, I guess it's today's social norms. Maybe back in that time period, really the big thing is weight on board that aircraft, uh, that spacecraft, was at right. a premium. So they really couldn't bring on extra stuff. There's a story. Sure. Maybe you heard the story, but after Apollo 13, they made a big deal to get to the moon, and they wanted to make it 
significant special. So uh, one of the astronauts snuck a golf club onto the spacecraft. Right. And, and he golfed on the moon. And everybody remembers that, right? Yeah. But it, it was not planned. But one of the oh. astronauts illegally brought that on board. And a golf club's significant weight. I mean, that's several ounces, if not a full pound or two. Well, what was funny about that, I saw a little special on the Biography Channel. Uh-huh. And they were saying that he took a tool that they were using for something else and had it modified so he could they could connect it together. Use like a pole, telescoping pole system where uh-huh. you click, click, click. And the, really the only thing that was foreign to what he was doing, not multi-use, was the head of the golf club. So he popped on the head of the golf club and the golf ball. Those were the two things. So, and was there any penalty or reaction or was it just dismissed and, you know, shoo-shooed? It was a super positive because it brought yeah. all the, the things to this program that made it exciting and fun and so they obviously got a free pass and right of course, he was one of the original seven astronauts too so so he was yeah he was going to be golden whatever he did yeah it would have been hard to bust him and the moons the the golf balls are still up there right oh yeah yeah those would probably snag a pretty penny i know so and this picture did too correct didn't they just auction it off they did. They auctioned a bunch of stuff, huh? How much did they get for it? Did you... I didn't see the exact dollar amount. I thought it was like 60000 or something. And uh, and she autographed it. I guess the gal that was in it autographed it. Oh, so she, she was a good sport about it, I guess. I, I don't know if she knew at the time that her picture was going in space, but she knows now. And I think, you know, that's that's fairly flattering if you're her, that they thought enough of your photo to take you in, to the moon. That's not bad. That's fact. I, I wouldn't mind that. And that, that would, yeah. Famous today. And that's, you know, the, the thing about the whole Playboy thing, you know, since 1955, I believe it's been published, or 65, excuse me. And, um, and just thinking where it started and where it is now. I, I just think poor Hugh, I, I don't know what he's thinking with the 23-year-olds, and, and I, I understand why he's doing that, but he's sort of, the magazine and the, the lifestyle or whatever I think are separate from him now, and he needs to step away. That's just my opinion. I, I don't know. Do you think he should keep on going strong? Well... I guess if I was in his shoes, I'd be like, heck yeah. Yeah. Why not, right? Yeah. I guess, yeah. It's hard to ask a man this question because I can't imagine any man would disagree with Hugh Hefter's life course, or lifestyle. Of course, I'm jealous. So I leave those young girls alone. There's, there's, there's guys that are younger that can handle that business. Yeah. And, and bottom line, do you think any of those women care for him? You know, it goes back to prove to me that Money changes everything. I believe Cindy, right. Cindy Lauper said that. True, true. I think you're right. So, hey, good luck for him. But because <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're just easy going, but I also wonder how much is going on upstairs with some of those girls. <laughs> he does seem a little, yeah. Well, well, I was thinking for him upstairs. I don't know what he knows, other than you know he's on a big boat or something. I don't know what his deal is. But. 
he always seems to be dressed as is as if he's a captain of a ship or something. He wears that Meryl Steubing hat. I don't think. And well, and his pajamas, but he wears it with a naval captain's hat. I don't understand that. I don't know. <laughs> and everyone knows you're supposed to wear, you know, a foreign legion hat with your pajamas, not that. <laughs> Do you remember that in the eighties? Those foreign legion ball cap things were real popular. Oh sure. Well, you had to have something to cover up your mullet. <laughs> That's, is that what it was? It was yes. Like the mullet. flaps were mullet protection. Ah. Oh, oh yes, back in the eighties. So, and in flashback. I'm sorry, I'm gonna just go rambling on this. Okay, I had a random experience today. I was actually playing um, a round of tennis with a friend of mine, and at a local high school here, not our old high school, but the, our one of our rivals, and happened to see a gentleman coming across the tennis court whom I recognized instantly because he had been my tennis coach at Montclair High School back in 1987. It was Mr. Montoya. Really? So he teaches at that rival school now and just happened to be uh, walking across the tennis courts on his way to do something else. And I spotted him and went up to him and said, hello, gave him a big hug. And it was one of those moments where I could tell he was trying to recollect who the heck I was because some 40-year-old woman chasing him down on the tennis court at high school. And then he, once I started putting it together for him, he definitely remembered me. And it was very nice to see him. He must be like 60-something well, years old. I know. And he looks amazing, which I definitely don't understand that because he's done nothing but live outside. You know, he was a tennis bum for a long time, always been surfing, always been skiing, just always that person, uh, uh, not married. He was with his girlfriend. So just that guy for the last 30 years. almost. (laughs) So it was neat to see him. We did a little random thing last week in my Toastmasters group where we talked about John Wooden an influential, uh, coach from UCLA. And I, I remember specifically thinking of Mr. Montoya. He was a really great coach and someone fun to learn tennis from. Um, he taught us how to, how to play obviously and we won, which was surprising. And he, you know, gave us info on being good sports. And in general, we were sort of a bad news bears team in Montclair. Really? And uh, yeah, oh, very much so because all the other schools, Claremont, Bonita, um, those schools all had, you know, more tennis uh, appropriate socio demographic. And we certainly didn't. Diamond Bar always was a very dominant school. And we, we took CIF both years that I played. So that was pretty phenomenal for us. We were a ragtag bunch of cat gut swinging girls and we made it happen. <laughs> of course, according in only because of Mr. Montoya. So it was fun to see him. It was really random to think about him a week ago and then run across him today. I think it's because we had cute girls on our tennis team. I think you're right. Exactly. That's exactly what it was. Just distracted everybody. Well, yeah. Remember that whole group of people? Um, yeah. Well, I guess I shouldn't name names, but there were lots of girls. But so. if, you, if you want to know, you can probably go check out the high school yearbook somewhere. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think I'm friends with most of them on Facebook, so I'll, I was going to put a little post up about that. Oh, but. that you should. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I guess we can move on to our next topic. So I'm thinking we should talk about the 10th anniversary of wikipedia yes cool i'm gonna go ahead i'm 
going to put a timer on. So we, because this is going to take us a little time to get through. Yes. So I'm going to be watching our time so we don't get bogged down. This is very interesting stuff. So, okay. All right. So anyways, it is the 10th anniversary, and they have the top 10 unforgettable entries on Wikipedia. I kind of read this, and I was like, who says these are the best? First off, here's a question. Have you ever edited an entry on Wikipedia? I never have. I don't even know that I would know how. I guess you just go in and look at it and ask to edit, or do you just edit at will? You pretty much can edit at will. You do okay. have to sign up, but it's very easy to sign up for an account. And uh, I've done it. Oh, okay. And you'll never guess what I've what I, I can only guess what you might have updated. updated. I don't know. Yes. I updated what the term glossophobia stands for. Oh, and what does that stand for? Fear of public speaking. Oh, excellent. Well, you would have a reason to update that. Okay. So I, and say it's, it's what a phobia again? What's it called? Glossophobia. Glossophobia. All right. So if you look up that in my name, you'll find some conversation back and forth because we were trying to disambiguous, disambiguize the word. Okay. Right. So kind of cool. So yeah, been, that is cool. I've been involved in editing the wiki. <laughs> and do you feel like, you know, you made your edits and they were valuable edits and lots of people make edits that aren't valuable. And how do you think Wikipedia does a good job of policing that? Yeah, but I, I do think that there is a, a core group of people who are involved in it, and they are—they like to be the the editors of the wiki. There's like well, a prestige. It's funny that you mentioned that. I saw him on Daily Show, or um, yeah, it was Daily Show. The gentleman who is one of the founders of Wikipedia, and he stated that um, there's a very specific demographic that generally does. The changing and uh, Jimmy Wales, I think, is the guy who founded it, and and it's a I think he said twenty four to uh, forty five year old, uh, generally tech person who will do the updating. So you fit that demographic. <laughs> I've only done one or two, but I will tell you this: I have installed from the ground up manually the wiki software on my own website before, just to see how to do it. Oh. And how did you get their software? It's free. Oh, oh it, it is? It's okay. It's free for anybody to do it. And so I did it. This was some incarnations ago, and I will tell you this. It is very easy to spam that thing because my, my load of their software got hit with more awful spam bot stuff than you can imagine. I had to go through there and try to clean it out. So they just get pummeled with that stuff then. Oh, my God. Somebody, All the time. Yeah, they they must be working 24-7 to keep it from having injections of, of spam. So if they closed it off and made it less user adaptable, mm -hmm. it would probably be easier for them to police that part of it. But I know they wanted to have it open as so the quality of it could always be changing and growing and getting better. So... I, I understand why they have it open, but it does sound like logistically for their systems, it'd be easier if it was a closed, uh, a closed app, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. 
But let's talk about some of these um, ten crazy things that are on there. <laughs> the first one I saw on here is a list of common misconceptions. Did you see that? I did see that, yes. This is here, the easiest way to waste time. Hours of your day. This page is not only fascinating, but the almost endless information that it has. This page offers the facts, after all, it's Wikipedia, and dispels <laughs> some common myths, like humans have five senses, drowning victims have their arms up for help, and men think about sex every seven seconds. So that's a myth, huh? Really? Is all of those myth? are myths? I don't know. <laughs> I don't I'm know. sure most men might have an agree, uh, you know, might disagree, but who knows. Um the one I thought that was interesting is that the Romans did not build, or you know, there's a myth that the Romans built vomitoriums and that they would have these great, you know, um, uh, feasts and then they would go and just barf their guts out in these rooms. Apparently that didn't happen and Wikipedia has dispelled that myth. Really? It didn't happen? They didn't, they didn't do that. They may have done other things, but they didn't have vomitoriums. So it was hard to be a bulimic, I guess, back in the Roman times. <laughs> Uh, let's see here. Uh, and uh, let's see. There, so there's some more things on, on this list of 10. But that seems like a really cool article. Yeah. I, I wanted to spend more time reading it. In fact, I bookmarked it on my little uh, web browser bar because I'm going to go back and check that one out. Okay. Because well, some of these things we all believe. We already think we know. Oh, yeah. I of see. course, drowning victims raise their arms. How are they going to get rescued if they don't? But no, they don't. They sink. That's the problem. That's why they're drowning victims. Let's see. Uh, this is, uh, here's a good one. Napoleon Bonaparte was not particularly short and did not have a Napoleon complex. <laughs> and that's a myth, right? They're dispelling Yeah, that. they're dispelling it. Yeah. Says that he was recorded at five feet, two inches tall in French feet, which corresponds to five feet, six and a half inches in modern feet. And that's actually pretty tall or fairly tall, for, especially in that time period. That's taller than me. <laughs> People. <laughs> now, now. Hey, now. <laughs> People were smaller back then, though. Yeah. In general, right? I, I mean, I've seen Civil War uniforms, and they look like they could be worn by children. Right. So. I, it, maybe they were, but yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of really cool, interesting stuff. The one I thought was interesting on a on a different entry of theirs was the deaths by fans, <laughs> and that um, you can't leave a fan on in a room because it's somehow it's going to kill somebody. I, I I had never heard of this before, and the fact that it made it to Wikipedia, I just thought was really strange. And this myth is so popular in South Korea that if an electric fan is left running in a sealed room overnight, anyone inside that room will be killed. So. People in Korea are apparently p paranoid or terrified of electric fans. Really? How strange. Isn't that crazy? And yeah, that's a really big article. <laughs> they put timers on them and then they don't leave them running. I, I just thought that was really interesting. I guess like we don't like 13 or whatever. Everyone's got their own superstition. My wife sleeps with a fan on. Right. <laughs> She's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. All night long, right? That's true. I have mine on all night. So. <laughs> Do you need that white noise? Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could actually have a 747 land in the room, and I think it would be fine. So <laughs> That's cool. Let's see. 
what other good stuff was on the art numbers of articles? Let's see here. There's a list of cryptides, which are animals and plants that might have anecdotal evidence of their existence but aren't recognized by science, kind of like Bigfoot. Yes. Uh, oh, let me ask you this. Have we had this discussion? Do you believe there's one Bigfoot or multiple Bigfoots? Well, presuming that I believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> which, of course, which you of course do. I do. <laughs> I would have to say there are multiple Bigfoots. Okay, this is it's such a foreign concept to me that there's only been one Bigfoot. There's only one in that one piece of film that you ever see where oh. he's, you know, ducking behind two trees. Oh, you know the story behind that, right? No, I don't. It's a guy in a rubber in a suit. And it's been <laughs> it's it, not. Is, it was it was proven they came out and said, Yeah, we we did it. It's like a Zapruder film though. I mean it's good because it's got that quality of graininess to it. It's what, nineteen seventy eight or something. Did they always show it in, in search of back with the one hosted by yes. Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. With Leonard yeah. Nimoy. This is the real deal. <laughs> Before <laughs> Snopes and urban legends and stuff. Before that, yeah, he was the only fact finder we had. Jeez, we were short of fact finders. But the Bigfoot um, is sort of a myth, right? But they said Loch, the Loch Ness Monster, they can't confirm one way or the other. Yeah, but no one's so, actually seen that either. One, that one. Well, I think there's been enough accounts of people who think they've seen something. I don't know. I don't know. They may just be drunk on scotch. I don't know, but I think they've seen something. I think we have to have more evidence. <laughs> you would. You're the skeptic. I, I, so. I, you know, I, I've seen too many photos where there are shadows, and the shadow looks like something else. Hmm. You know, where it yeah. Gl- you know, like things on the moon. Like it looks like a face. But then they show right. the exact same spot somewhere else, and then you realize, oh, it's just a shadow. Right, I guess. And photos aren't aren't the best evidence, obviously. I, I always like people's accounts of stuff like that via UFOs or Loch Ness Monster because you want to believe them. And if they're not crazy people, you really want to believe them. So I, I always hope that that maybe they're, they're on to something. Oh, yeah. yeah. Except for UFOs. I, I don't really want to know that they're existing. <laughs> UFOs kind of freak me out. I would take a room full of Bigfoots before I'd handle UFOs. This, this is our last year on the planet. After mm. this, 2012 happens, and we're all going to It's over, yeah. right? Yeah. We're not getting out that easy. No, I, I still, I don't believe this longest word in the English language. 189,819 letters. Yeah. Well, did they dispel that, or was that, what? What happened there? What happened? In that, I saw that thing that it was 189,000, but is it, it's not a real word, is it? Yeah, it's a chemical. It is. Mm-hmm. I just don't. Okay. 189,000. Well, Does it need to be that big? You got me on that. It's, it's probably one of those compound word things with the hyphens and all that jazz. Because I thought anti-disestablishmentarianism was the longest word we had. But no, this went and ruined that for me. Yeah. But we'll have a link in the show notes. Right. <laughs> There's a list of unusual deaths. I didn't look at those because I thought they might bum me out. What was what stood out there on that list to you? Uh, I, I didn't go there either. But the fact okay. that it was there. Just that it was there. 
and it's important to people on Wikipedia. Maybe it has to do with the Darwin Awards. I know those are always people who die from unusual deaths too. That's some rare. Some so some are distasteful. All right. Yeah. All right. Gonna check it out. Dun dun dun. <laughs> dun dun dun. Yeah, there are a few other cool things on the list, I guess. But uh, let's see here. Well, you you'll be safe to know. At least I haven't seen any f- pictures yet. Yeah. Okay, here's one in Riverside, 1994. Gloria Ramirez was admitted to Riverside General Hospital for complications of advanced cervical cancer. Before she died, her caregivers claimed that Ramirez's body mysteriously emitted toxic fumes that made several emergency room room workers very ill. She was dubbed the toxic lady by the media. I remember that story. So, interesting. And they never found out what what it was. Yes, yeah, some mysterious toxic fumes. Hmm. But, uh, was that her soul leaving, or was it... Who knows? You'd think if that were the case, we'd hear about that more often. So, it almost reads like a whole list of obituaries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not the most uplifting. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's see. Well, I guess, you know, kids aren't really allowed to use WikiLeaks for... Uh, WikiLeaks. Uh, Wikipedia for... First, you know, reports or data or anything oh, really? substantial. Been, been told? I know my son can't use it as a cited reference for any re- any research paper that he does. But, so but here's the thing: even though you can't use it, you can use it to have sources because everything has to be qualified on Wikipedia. Right. Exactly. So, go- so you just can't quote it as your footnote, but you can get the information and then verify it on your own right you just click on that there they have a little footnote link you go to that footnote and then you find the data that you want which is actually better because normally with the term paper you got to cite four to six or eight sources or whatever so they basically give you your bibliography so you, for you you get it right there exactly so, okay so you, yep. you just have to go one step out and they've essentially killed the encyclopedia business right i mean there's does anyone own a set of encyclopedias? We were talking. Does the library even own that? I was talking that, about that with somebody else, and that we were saying that that was the mark of the 70s and 80s. You know, that was pinnacle. You had to have your own home set of encyclopedias. Remember, your parents would go to the store and come back, and they'd have just the A. <laughs> because that's all they got that week, yeah, right? The grocery store was selling the A. Yeah, we didn't have them in my house. So, um, I mean, we had every other book, but we didn't have any encyclopedias. So I never got to, um, I never read them at home, although we'd have to use them at the library or whatever for school stuff. Yeah. There's an interesting book by a gentleman named A.J. Jacobs, and he writes these books about something that he'll do for a year. And he spends an entire year reading the Encyclopedia Britannica and, you know, want and desiring to become, you know, the smartest man in the world, so to speak. So he has, um, he chronicles his year of learning everything. It's a very, fu- very funny book. That's cool. I, you know, the Encyclopedia Britannica, though, isn't really the end all in encyclopedias, but I don't even know if anybody publishes an encyclopedia anymore. No, I, I don't think they do. Not At least not the way they did before. They probably put it on disk. There's Encarta, which is Microsoft's yep. version of an encyclopedia. But there was another encyclopedia, and I'm trying to remember what it was. 
and I used it in college. The World Book Encyclopedia, no, right? Was, well, they had that, but that was really considered lesser um, editorially quality than Britannica. But then there's one above Britannica. Uh, oh, yeah. good question. Is it like an Oxford encyclopedia or something? That sounds right. Let me let's see. I'm looking up encyclopedia. Uh, Wikipedia comes up. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Britannica obviously does make the list. So I will have to get back to that. That's yeah. But there was um there was definitely some other encyclopedias that were considered the gold standard of encyclopedias and I could have sworn there was one from like an old world one. And I remember that the books were thick and the writing was small, and the articles were very, they, they were written at a higher level. They were written for sure. college people. They weren't written for elementary school students. To, right. <laughs> On that real thin paper, and there's a thousand sheets. Yeah, that, yes. that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, they had a couple other things in there talking about n- magic numbers, or a magic number, six, uh, 6174. 6174. Yes, I tried to do that equation, and I'm so bad at math, I couldn't even do the equation that they were saying, so I just believed them. (laughs) (laughs) This might be part of their problem, is that people just believe them. (laughs) So, there's a few others. We'll go ahead and post a link to all this on our our website. So, let's see. And we think we have one more cool topic to talk about. Well, actually, a really controversial topic. By... uh, Yes, I, I was going to say the the article that I read about it that you sent by Paul Krugman, I just like him a lot. Every time I see him speak or hear him talk, I just I just want him to get up on the big rooftop and shout things. He's, you know, he speaks normally, he speaks effectively. I like what he has to say. Well, the editorial I sent out was The War on Logic. Whoa. Did you hear that? Mm-mm. It sounded like a big buzz. I said Warren Logic. Oh, I heard. Ooh. You know, it was a motorcycle driving by <laughs> up on Mountain Avenue. So, yes. <laughs> That's funny. Um, this is talking about how the House has taken up this bill, and they called it Repe- Repealing the Job Killing Health Care Law Act. That's the actual name. Yes, in our um, kinder, gentler time period, didn't did they try to tame down the killing part, or did they amplify the killing part? I thought they were going to put it to job destroying oh, instead of killing. It passed. It passed already. Yeah, yeah exactly. As is, right? Which is nice. interesting. So what they really said was, we don't want to actually look at the existing law and fix it, fix what's broke. We'll just kill the whole thing. And then try to not pass something because, let's face it, first off, whatever they do, if they want to try to destroy Obama's, Obamacare, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. it ain't going to happen. Obama can veto it, and the Senate doesn't have to pick up any of it, so if they don't, Senate doesn't ratify, it never moves forward. So they're wasting their time. They're wasting their time, and they're just posturing and standing on this attempt to repeal the legislation that he was able to get passed. 
And the other reason it's never going to change and it's never going to pass is that within its full implementation, within six years or whatever it is, um, there's going to be 30 million new customers to the health insurance industry. And that industry is not going to turn away 30 million new paying customers. So they don't want it to be repealed. They want it maybe structured a little different, but they don't want it repealed. They know that would be bad. And so this war on logic that he very clearly outlines, um, and we should put this article up on the oh, website yeah. too, is so – it's a perfect statement because the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, says that we ha- – you know, obviously we have to do something about our deficit because healthcare is adding to it. And if we don't change that, we're in a world of hurt. So we've done this. And, it, and it's been proven by the CBO, the nonpartisan group that does this sort of number crunching – that it will improve the deficit. For for them to argue otherwise is insanity. Absolutely. So that's why I'm just really taken back by the whole thing. It makes me mad because they want to fix it. If they really have a gripe, let's talk about what the real problems are and not just make it a posture to go, we won, you lost, we're going to do whatever we want. And then then at the end anyways, they can do what they want and they still aren't going to accomplish anything. So if we got two years of them doing nothing, all they've done is prove that they're going to be kicked out of office. And maybe this is the thing that I've learned as an older person, that 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 is politics as usual, and getting nothing done is pretty much the status and standard. And And maybe that's good. I don't think we want government moving at a lightning fast pace. We want things slow and, and steady. But getting anything accomplished... It just seems really difficult, and and the fact that they want to change this and and repeal this monumental legislation is just disheartening. Just like the Who, right? Here's how's that? Here's to the new boss, same as the old boss. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Get fooled again. (laughs) Yes, and and their take on it is all having to do with. The way Medicare pays doctors was a formula that was, that was enacted in 1997, and that formula is flawed. So instead of changing the formula, that's a law apparently, they just readjust it every year. So otherwise, doctors wouldn't accept Medicare patients. And because they're not accounting for this adjustment every year, it's going to cost us $208 billion more dollars. But we would have to pay that adjustment every year whether or not we had health care reform. So his point is really valid. They're, they're arguing against logic that those payments are always going to be there. We should have the health care reform in addition to that. I just think that, the, that. Pos- the positive of this whole thing is that if you have people who are uninsured, you know, then they're worried about if they get sick and if you get sick and you have certain people, a segment of the population that is in the margin. And if they get sick, they lose their job or they mm-hmm. uh, have to file bankruptcy or they have to go get the, they have to get the service done anyways. And then if their credit is screwed up and they can't buy a house because of that, they can't get number one cause of bankruptcy. They yep. can't rent. Do you know, I mean, I, mm-hmm rent places and that's a big deal for me if i see that your 
credit screwed up, but I look and I go, oh, it's a medical bill. If it's a medical bill, I usually give people a pass. But that's mm-hmm. the only thing I give people a pass on. Because right. it's not hard to get a $10,000 medical bill. Yeah. So I'm just like, okay. I attended a, um, I was a part of a focus group last night for a friend of mine whose um, mom is involved in marketing. And this focus group was sort of aimed at getting women's opinions on certain things. And since I'm never short of those, I was invited to attend. And one of the questions in some of the marketing that she's trying to do is about healthcare. And one of the questions was, um, if your spouse was having a heart attack, would you have a preference on what uh, hospital or treatment center you'd take them to and why? So we're sitting around a table and everyone's answering the question. And, and basically, we're all lucky. But we have it. And so everyone said, no, I would just take my spouse to the nearest medical center and, and get treatment. And I thought, you know, it's easy for us to say that because we have this coverage. But if I knew I didn't have health insurance, then I would probably think twice about going to the closest one. And I might drive to the county facility or drive to the facility that I think would take the lower income or non-insured people. And that would factor in to my decision when my spouse is having a heart attack. And how tragic is that, that people have to make those decisions at life-threatening events? Yeah, you, sh- you shouldn't have to definitely worry about that. So, man. And, and I now, with the current health insurance that I have, I do think consciously about when, how often I go to the doctor and how much I'm paying because it comes out of a, like a little bank account. And once I use up mm-hmm. that bank account of funds, then I'm going to be in a situation where I have to pay out of pocket <laughs> a, per- a right. percentage. And I don't like that. You can pay pocket. Well, you know, I used to have this insurance where you pay a, a copay. You'd go to the doctor, you pay $20 or $40 or whatever, and then the rest is covered. And you just don't think about it. You go as many times as you want, 40 bucks. Actually, when I was in the union, it would be uh, $15, I think, is what I paid, 10 or $15 per, for my copay. It was great. And now it's... That's pretty sweet. Now it's just different. Yeah. But I know once. Yeah, it's it is different, and it's it, it's frustrating because even having insurance, it makes you question: Do I really need to be seen for this, or is it really that bad? That's right. It's too bad. Well, it doesn't matter the the quality or the value of life has a dollar amount on it, and. And yes, do I think people abuse their medical insurance or is there fraud in Medicare and Medi-Cal or all these programs? Yes, there's ton, tons of it and there's tons of inefficiencies. But we still probably need to be focused on saving lives. Yeah. And we'll probably need to focus on getting more people into the medical business, need more people going into nursing, need more hospitals. Because we just have more people and we're just overburdening the systems that we have. And that's another problem altogether. Yeah. That would help. Yeah. 
And don't they put a limit on how many doctors we can have? Doesn't the AMA kind of manage that for us, that we can only have so many doctors? And so, therefore, yes, they do put a quota on how many doctors there can be. And and that, you know, creates a supply and demand issue. So it feeds right into it. Ding the luck. Well, I guess that's why yeah. they make as much money as they do. <laughs> Right. And they should make money. They should make tons of money. I'm not saying that anybody shouldn't make money. And and to go to school for eight years and longer is an incredible commitment. And and I know several doctors who are the most committed people to their profession. And and so they deserve all the money they can make. I'm I'm not saying that they're they're being bad for for wanting their money, but I think they um I think they can come together and come up with some ideas too. Oh, absolutely. I, I agree. <laughs> I'm sure they have lots of ideas. And, and I and I agree that everybody has a right to make as much money as they can. You know, see yes. the patients that you want, charge the prices that you want, on and on. Uh, I'm sure, though, that there's a lot of doctors who have heart, so I know that's not really an issue. You know, right. I don't think they greed is rampant through the industry where they go, well, you know, there's someone who can't afford it. And so we're not going to treat those people. I think that. Right. I don't, yeah, I don't think the greed is rampant and I don't think that the, the fraud is, you know what I mean? I think if you, if you balance those out and could, and start weeding away at some of those things, I think some of the, the money issues would be better. All right. (laughs) So let's move on to the, uh, the final kind of table topic for the evening. Yes, and it's your turn. Okay. So, um, okay, so, so the tabletop a question, and we both submit them every week to each other, and and we kind of pick and choose. But the one you wrote that I really really liked was uh, when I was in high school. I'm pretty sure I exclusively wrote with blue ink. I'm not sure why. Now it seems that everything I do is in black ink. Has the world shifted, or is it just me? Wow. Well. Blue ink. I have to say, I always remember I had these papermate blue ink pens in high school. Do, do you remember? Yeah. And I, I had do, these, yes. I still like little them. cap, and I would chew on them in class all day long, I'm sure. And, <laughs> but it was they were always blue. And there was something about everything I wrote was blue. And I remember I had one of these blue pens, and I went to go sign up for the military, and I got down there. And in the military, everything had to be in black. Only black ink would do. So everything I've done ever since has been shifted to black ink. And I signed my contracts in blue ink, and they had to rewrite everything so I could re-sign it in black. Oh, they were mad. <laughs> <laughs> but when you were signing it, the person didn't say, use a different oh, pen? Oh, they did. They oh. told you. Only in black. And I don't know what, how it happened. It's like, where did that blue pen come from? <laughs> <laughs> well, you were joining the Navy, and you were going to be in the ocean, so you thought you needed a blue pen for the ocean. But, you know, I did, was it a requirement in our when we went to school the color of the ink? I mean, we're what? I wonder why we didn't just do black. It seemed like it was just I don't was it preference? It seemed like black was not. It's like we, blue it added color to the page. I don't know. I'm trying to understand why did I choose blue or did we all choose blue? I've always chosen blue. Blue's my favorite color. So, yeah, I to this day prefer pens that are blue. Wow. Yeah. 
So I was. That is strange. Yes, and and several people had commented um, on a little Facebook posting about that, about their favorite pen from high school, Mm -hmm. be it pink or whatever. And it is funny. I think we all have that thing we remember that we liked to use. How many people have? Do they still even? I think they sell it still. The little big or the big fat big pen, and you click on it and it changes color. You get the red ink, yes. or the blue ink, or the green yes. ink. Or, yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, I was going to say I probably have one in my drawer right here because we just bought one not too long ago because I saw it at the store and I thought, oh, I have to have that again. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Some things. Like, it's a retro thing. Yes. <laughs> there was a while where I was doing calligraphy type stuff. Had fountain pen, and so I was oh. doing that. Yeah. Well, that's hard because you can't drag your hand along the paper. And aren't you a lefty? I'm, no, I'm right-handed. Oh, you're a right-handed. Okay, all right. I, I thought you might be a lefty. No, so not. actually, I wear my watch when I do wear a watch, which I haven't worn in about a year or two now. But I wear it on my right hand. And that makes me great. never do that. JP that, and he always wears his, and I always tease to wear my hand. And but why don't more don't you wear a watch for the last year or two? I got a phone. Everybody says that, and I just I still love my watch. I, yeah, but I, I, I if I leave the house without it, I don't feel right. I, I'm not a jewelry kind of guy, so I hate, oh, all I right. hate jewelry, and that was just another piece of jewelry, and uh, yeah, and now that it, I don't wear that watch, it feels I don't feel naked. <laughs> Yeah, it's liberating, right? If you don't have to wear something around your wrist. Uh, For whatever reason, I still enjoy wearing a watch and and generally have one with Mickey Mouse on it. So that's generally why. That would be okay. (laughs) See, it's fun that way, right? But uh, yeah, it it confuses people because people normally wear their watch on their less predominant hand. So if you're right-handed, you wear Mm -hmm. your watch on your left hand and vice versa. So yeah, I don't know how that even started. I have no idea, but you're right. People do. And and so for folks that wear it on their dominant hand, it's strange to the rest of us who don't. Right. But if you're if you're doing that little detective thing going on, trying to read somebody, you can find that out. Most of the time you'd be True. correct. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've definitely hit some good stuff here today. Good. Yeah, you need to get your rest. <laughs> Well, let's go ahead and close the show. So, All right. Okay. I'll let you do the close since I did the opening. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, lots of craziness this evening on this show. So, actually, I think we had a fantastic show tonight. Great topics. And appreciate uh, Teresa here. She came up with some great, great topics for our show. And we'll have some show oh, notes. Up. And for, for TJ Talks, I'm Judd. And... This is Teresa, and we'll be talking at you later. Bye. Bye.